Hello, world. This is our pre-spring break episode, and I think I speak for most of the students here when I say we are one Canvas assignment away from deleting our school emails and running away to join the circus. Luckily, we've got light at the end of the tunnel. So yesterday was International Women's Day, and March is Women's History Month. And what better way to celebrate than with an episode of her story? I, Mary Jane, your favorite historian, am here to share another lesser-known or misconstrued, or simply fascinating story following a real-life badass woman. Last week we discussed Saint Olga of Kiev, and if you're still interested in learning more about Ukrainian women's history, do yourself a favor in googling Maria Zankutska. 19th century and 20th century promoter of the arts, or Lyudmila Pavlichesko, the deadliest female sniper in the history of the world who killed 309 fascists in World War II. Ukrainian women are especially famous for their contributions to the arts, from ballet to theater, and some of the earliest feminist writings of the Soviet Union. Today, women of all ages continue to take up arms against Russia, but the invasion of Ukraine isn't the only war rocking the world. For months, Ethiopia has been lodged in a civil war between its national government and the officials of the Tigray region. The conflict has been atrocious, with horrible human rights violations on both sides, and is really also depressing to read about. But when the world feels like it's falling apart, at least I'm comforted that women have always found a way to survive and thrive. History can be a comfort, and in this I have done you a great disservice. It has been entirely too long since we have visited the continent of Africa and examined its most influential heroines. Today, we are visiting Ethiopia, as you may have guessed, but all the way back to the 17th century. Our leading lady is Tetu Batul, the Empress of Ethiopia, whose fierce strategic and military efforts defeated the Italian imperialist colonization. Ethiopia is well known for never having been subjugated to European imperialism like much of the continent as European nations invade and colonize their so-called African allies. Italy has set its sights on Ethiopia, and the only person standing in the way is their empress, with enough skepticism, sass, and brilliancy to land a crushing defeat against the Italians. Born in 1851, Deitu was a member of one of Ethiopia's minority ethnicities, the Oromo people, a historically small and oppressed group. Tetu was born near Lake Tana in the city of Debre Tabor. The daughter of aristocrats, Tetu could supposedly trace her ancestry back to King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba around 900 BCE. Heritage drawn from the Salonic dynasties was major street cred for ruling elites. Tetu, whose Amharic name translates to son, was married to her first of five husbands when she was only 10 years old. Already, yikes. Tetu was reportedly mutilated before she was even three months old in an unsterile and disturbing process that involved knives, rocks, and glass. It is suspected that the genital mutilation left her unable to have children, despite her different husbands and her supposed love of sex. Good for you, girl. Tetu had several unhappy marriages over the next two decades, though Ethiopian society did not hold stigma for women having several marriages. Tetu's first husband was reportedly arrested for a minor offense and she was forced to follow his army and cook for them. By her second marriage, 
her husband beat her. She soon after announced that she was going to visit her mother, swiftly leaving with most of his property and servants in tow. They do never even bother divorcing him. And oddly enough, this really sucky guy may have been the brother of one of her fifth husband's wives. It's all weird and potentially embellished, anyway. By the time she did meet her fifth husband, Tetu had amassed wealth, property, and influence, which may have had helped her catch the attention of the next emperor. Some say he was her fourth husband, others her sixth. We'll stick to the happy medium of five for now. Historical discrepancies be like that. Her husband, who would eventually be crowned Emperor Menelik II, was first the king of Shewa. Tetu's Salonic ancestry helped solidify Menelik's position, and both wife and a husband were able to combine their alliances from the north and south of Ethiopia. Tetu was also brought her own demands to the potential marriage. She would be his third wife, and Menelik was a notorious womanizer. When Tetu learned Menelik was still seeing his mistress leading up to their wedding, she was disgusted and promptly, and rightfully, left him. Tetu then prepared to take a new husband, whom Menelik, panicking, quickly bribed to leave her alone so she would go through with the original marriage. After that, Menelik knew better than to be disloyal, and so did their people. A popular folk song recounted how Tetu, the son, had cleared away the fog, aka the mistress. Gotta love poetry. They were married on April, in April of 1883, when Tetu was 30 years old, making her queen of Shoah. By 1889, she was empress of Ethiopia. Tetu and Menelik had started uniting different territories under their banner through savvy politics and strategic military campaigns. Tetu Batul was regarded in every way as Menelik's equal, and when the two became emperor and empress, it was Tetu who took the reins of the empire. She was heavily involved in formulating the diplomatic, political, and military policies. While Menelik was polite and afraid of offending, preferring to delay unfavorable decisions by saying, tomorrow, yes, Tetu was quoted immediately saying, absolutely not. Tetu would take charge of important negotiations, infamous for interrupting and remaneuvering political decisions and discussions with a decisive and often hostile authority. According to historian Jason Porath, a gentleman also known as one of the good ones, Tetu and Menelik were essentially ruling in a good cop, bad cop dynamic, with her not being afraid to embrace unpopular or difficult stances. Tetu's intuition and leadership would come to its greatest test in Ethiopia's relationship with Italy. She was the first to suspect that the Italians had ulterior motives in forming this alliance, which came to head in the Treaty of Uccelle. In the Italian translation of the treaty, Ethiopia was named a new protectorate, essentially a colony of Italy, while the Amharic translation mentioned nothing of this, aside from the relationship being an option for future discussion. The Ethiopians were rightfully furious, and attempts were made to eventually draft a new treaty. The Italians signed the second treaty that, in the Amharic version, canceled out this problematic clause. In a classic Uno reverse card, the Italian version had no mention of this new condition. Reportedly, the Italian ambassador was so furious, he tore up the treaty and promptly returned to Italy. Tetu and Menelik may or may not have reprinted the treaty in brass? Still, very savvy. Tetu had been onto the Italians from the beginning, decrying the Treaty of Waltuce before it was even ratified. 
She wasn't afraid of calling out the Italians, saying, You want other colonies to see Ethiopia as your protege, but that will never be. To their faces. Despite attempts at diplomacy, relationships, relations between Ethiopia and Italy were starting to deteriorate. By 1891, it was clear an invasion was on the horizon. The Italians reportedly described Menelik as weak, uncertain, and in the hands of his wife. And thank God for it. Tetu traveled to the front lines with her husband, preparing their army and reportedly commanding 5,000 infantry and 600 cavalry troops in the later Battle of Adwa. Records are conflicting when it comes to Tetu's role in the battle. Most artworks depict her riding fiercely into the fight against the Italians, but some believe her role was more of that in the strategy and logistics department. While there's no doubt that she was the brains behind the military operation, she may have also ridden at the front lines with her troops and battled the invaders. She kept extreme order in her ranks, ensuing her soldiers were incredibly skilled and organized. A European observer remarked how she is, and I quote, a great lady, who perhaps in another milieu would have been a Christina of Sweden or Catherine the Great. A flattering comparison, if not for implying that by being an African queen, she was excluded from being one of the most powerful women in the world. Her greatest military victory came at the, at the siege of the Italian fort in Michele in 1896. With a force of 900, Tetu instructed her troops to cut off the fortress's water supply. After 10 days, the devastated Italians were forced to surrender. Next came Italy's humiliating defeat in the Battle of Adwa a month later. Ethiopia had united to repel the Italians. And one legend claimed that Tetu rode up to the front lines and, seeing her troops start to falter, removed her veil and cried, Courage, victory is ours, before charging headfirst into battle. With Italy's forces brought to their knees, other European nations carving up the continent rightfully chose the diplomatic route, often requesting to speak directly to Empress Tetu. And I don't blame them. Bless Menelik's heart, he was wasting days of negotiations with the Italians by asking them important life questions, like if Europe really had chickens that laid giant eggs. In a very petty move that really makes me question his leadership. The Italians made sure to specifically ask for Tetu when negotiating for captured soldiers, which may have been up to 70,000 prisoners of war. It is at this point that I start to wonder how Ethiopia would have been doing without the iron fist and guiding hand of their empress. Back in Italy, men were divided on whether to exact revenge on the Ethiopians, and others were questioning why they'd even gone to Ethiopia in the first place. Italian press and record-keeping was polarized at best. To them, Tetu was either a hero, a virtuous woman on par with Joan of Arc, or, or, well, you can imagine. Popular subjects were her past marriages, salacious claims of lovers, and her apparent poisonings and bathing in blood. Creative. Some of these more tame rumors had a legitimate base. Empress Tetu was controversial. She was a brutal politician and commander, solidifying her power base at all costs. Tetu hated pretty much all things foreign, persecuting new religions, and was a harsh on European envoys visiting Ethiopia. And she's definitely been linked to a lot of poisoning people, so that, there's, there, 
there's that too. On the other hand, though, Daidu personally cooked for starving prisoners and her countrymen. She selected the current capital, Addis Ababa, and was responsible for the growth of industry and philanthropy within the country. She inaugurated the Ethiopian Red Cross and helped start Ethiopia's wine production and candle making to expand the economy. Tetu was literate in several languages, and some of her own writing has survived to this day. The Empress also enjoyed chess, music, and playing the Begena, or the Ethiopian lyre. Compare all this with her dictatorial practices, and we've got one complex Empress on our hands. Menelik II suffered a stroke in 1909. Tetu then stepped up and practically ran the country as its solo Empress. Although, to be fair, it feels like she was running the country before this anyway. When her husband died in 1914 with no heirs, Tetu was ousted from power. Her own family and political rivals had been pressuring her to step down, with the ruling elite continuing to spread conspir conspiracies about her, until she finally stepped down as empress, and the title passed to one of the descendants of Menelik from, I believe, a former marriage. Kind of awkward, but okay. Little is known about Tetu Betu in her final years, which were spent quietly until her death in 1917. She lived in the old palace of Entoto, next to the church at St. Mary's, where she and her husband were first crowned, and eventually acted as an informal advisor to the new rulers. When she passed, she was laid to rest beside her husband in a monastery in Addis Ababa. Tetu held vast amount of territory, controlled armies, and even the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, and successfully led military campaigns against the seceding Targaryens. The ancestors to the same group caught in civil war today. As empress, she was instrumental in driving foreign affairs and preventing Italy from seizing Ethiopia through decisive military conquest and political moves that were effective and never discreet. She advised her husband on improving infrastructure and the currency system, encouraged tax reform, a railroad, and postal service, along with much better education systems. Tetu is unique among many female rulers, even for the 1800s, for how much we know about her. Oral storytelling, art, and written works survive to tell her story. Most of the records come from Ethiopian royal court, Italian prisoners of war, Tetu's own letters, and perhaps most peculiarly, Photos and records kept and taken by a Swiss engineer who worked for the emperor and empress, who even managed to photograph them. She is also unique because of her active role in battle. Ethiopian women were usually caretakers when traveling with armies. Rarely, if ever, were they the lead strategists and commanders in the field. She's just so cool. So what did we learn today? History is complicated. Hopefully you already knew that colonialism was bad. Women have an incredible capacity to lead and have been calling out BS for centuries. All right, guys, we're so close to spring break. If you're listening to this and it's not spring break, sorry for the hope. It's just how it is. I cannot thank you enough for joining me today, and I will see you soon for another episode of Her Story. Her Story.